Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions and provides unbiased answers. Invest Talk, over 31 million downloads and counting. I wanted to get your opinion on ticker symbol. I just really like it as a long term play. I uh, appreciate the show, appreciate all the knowledge. Thanks, guys. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, October 20th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. And we are living through interesting times, a lot of distraction, a lot of information coming our way. And my job here is to help you weed through the noise, through the hype, through the hysteria, and focus on the facts that will help guide you to make good investment decisions, good money decisions, and do that day after day. And that is your path to financial freedom. And so as I operate on this show for this next hour, I'm going to use my mission statement, which is independent thinking in shared success. I'm not Kramer. I'm not CNBC. I'm not banging bells and whistles. I'm not talking a book. I am here to give you the facts as I see them. Present all without bias, whether I'm talking about individual stock, a sector, a strategy. That's my goal here for this next hour. So I'm Justin Klein, and I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do, you get to shape the show to your liking. So please interact with me right now during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific time. But if you're listening after hours, no big deal. You can leave a message on our anytime voice bank, which is 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our listener first listener question now, and it's James from Maryland looking at I-bonds and CDs. Hey, Justin. Um, we've got a bit of cash we're trying to figure out uh, for the next three or five years. Uh, okay. We're looking to we- possibly do a home rental station, just a little bit new kitchen kind of thing, but we want to wait a couple of years till some of the commodity prices uh, come down a little bit. We're not in a rush, and we have a question whether to put it in a CD or stagger I-bonds. Uh, I-bonds are a, a bad way. There are some, they're, they're definitely less liquid than a CD. Um, if you cash them in before five years, there, there are some um, penalties there. So I don't see I-bonds as a great way to go. I, I would do uh, some sort of CD, a laddered CD, um, so that would probably be the best way to go about it. Uh, maybe find ones that where if you have to liquidate the CD that you're just giving up, um, you know, the yearly interest or something like that, as opposed to, right. uh, some sort of big penalty. So that's the way I would go. I wouldn't go with I bonds. I would go, especially cause I think you can, it's limited to $10,000 a year as well. I forget the exact limits, but they're just, there's just so many right. kind of hurdles, uh, there. Right. We're just uh, kind of being teased with like a five and a seven percent annualized 
kind of thing. Yeah, well, I, you're not going to get five or seven percent. I don't know where where you're seeing that. If that's that's the case, that's more of a uh, a lot of the tips. Um, a lot of the tip funds, inflation protected security funds, they are showing that they have big returns. You know, five seven percent, but that's not actually what you're getting. Uh, that's recent right. price performance annualized. Uh, so definitely don't get duped by those quote unquote performance figures. Uh, right. I, I would even stick with CDs from the government. What was that? Even if we bought them directly from, uh, the government. Yeah. You're definitely not getting those rates from the government. I'll tell you that. Um, so I'm not sure where you're seeing those particular, um, those particular yields, but you're, you're very unlikely to get those type of yields from, from the government. Um, we can double check, um, but I would, I would doubt you're going to get that. That that seems um, way too high, especially for something risk free, right? So uh, I would be reticent to put too much in, uh, credence into those numbers because those sound too good to be true uh, in this interest rate environment. Once again, you can double check, um, but you have to double, double check uh, twenty times to make sure that that's actually correct. Because I I would not believe that. All right. Thanks for the call, James. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. The first U.S. Bitcoin futures ETF has launched. So we're going to look at that. Also, Tether. Uh, We've talked about this before that Tether looks to be not what it's all cracked up to be, what everyone or what they purported to be, and they've been hit with a fine. And so uh, another example of how this kind of wild west of the crypto market remains fraught with danger. Now, nobody lost money here, but it just shows you that you can't always believe what is being told to you in that space. Then let's uh, touch a bit on oil and who, what type of companies will benefit the most from the higher oil prices, natural gas prices that we not only see today, but we'll likely see going forward. And then the banks. Pandemic is over. But what's next? What is next for these companies and uh, both large and, and regionals uh, and what areas of the financial industry will likely thrive in the post-pandemic world? So that's what we're going to look at today. But ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. So give me a call, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So I get through and ask your question on today's show. We had a solid update today. The 10-year was was flat, but the S&P itself was up 16 points. So modest update about uh, 0.4%. You had the NASDAQ. That was down 7 points. So you saw the growth side of the market underperform, and that continues to be the theme of, of, of lately, of late, <laughs> um, as interest rates continue to kind of just grind higher, and we're at the highest levels since early June. And if we break much above the six, 1.65 on the 10-year, now we're at 1.636, the close today. Uh, that will be, I think, really off to the races and back uh, to 52-week highs from March and April and probably hit 2% by the end of the year. So we're starting to see some really strong pressure upward on rates. You have the dollar just a bit weaker uh, as well. And the NYSE, the broad index, that was actually the strongest, up 111 points, 
about two-thirds of 1%. So very, very nice day in the market. It looks like we're trying to break out here, uh, but not yet confirmed. Now, the most bullish part of the market is the VIX. The fact that the VIX is all the way back down to 15, looks to be making a lower low after making a series of higher highs, tells me that maybe this recent pullback in the market may be over. Now here on Invest Talk and I'm a company, KP Financial, we operate the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. We want to bring you along in our success. And Steve and I are happy to explain why our methodology is different and can work so well for investors. You can send us a message through investtalk.com anytime if you ever want help. But for now, the phone lines are open. We're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Talking about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. No question is too simple. Wanted to ask about Teladoc. And each question is an important part of the podcast. My wife has a role over 401k from a previous employer. I was curious if this is eligible to be used to do a backdoor Roth. Steve and Justin are fearless. That's fairly inexpensive for this kind of explosive growth. The problem here is that you're picking a leveraged ETF. Tell your friends and family members about Talk. You've been instrumental in my understanding how this market works. Don't forget to call Talk. 888-99-CHART. Investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations, you've found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Steve and Justin welcome your questions anytime on the Invest Talk listener line 888 99 Chart. Hi, Duncan from New York. Quick question I am looking at some ETFs for metals. I currently have AG First Majestic, and I was just trying to do some research to figure out what other ETFs would have First Majestic. And then I came to a couple of ETFs, SIL and SILV. It has First Majestic Silver Corp in it, but the stock symbol is FR. And am I confused or am I am I reading this correctly? So I just want some clarification why First Majestic would have a different symbol in an ETF than just being by itself. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Bye. It's a great question. Well, this is a duly listed company. First Majestic is under the ticker symbol AG here in the U.S. And it's actually also listed in Toronto in Canada. And so its symbol there is actually FR.TO. So TO's Toronto uh, Exchange. And so, yes, it can be duly listed. And you could buy it on the, the, that exchange or you could buy it here on uh, our U.S. exchanges. Um, so that's your answer. It just is duly listed. And uh, the, when it's duly listed, it's going to have a different ticker symbol, most likely. And that's the case here. First Majestic is a Canadian out of Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, that's where they're headquartered, even though their properties uh, are in Mexico. 
their headquarters are in Canada. It's a Canadian company, and that's why it's duly listed. So great question. like that you're looking at that, uh, and hopefully for everyone out there, taught you a bit of a lesson that it is not uncommon for foreign companies to be listed here in the U.S. on the NYC or NASDAQ and then uh, on other exchanges around the world as well. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. The first U.S. Bitcoin futures ETF has launched. And for some people, they think it's a good thing. And clearly, recent prices of Bitcoin, let me take a look at the current price as we record right now, looks to be about 66000 And But there's concern that the futures-based ETF could deviate from Bitcoin's spot price. And uh, the, the fund launchers argue that it tracks more closely to the Bitcoin price than GBTC, for example, which is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which can trade at a premium or a discount. And that's really the difference is a stronger correlation uh, is what they say. And but if you look at historically the ETFs that are commodity focused or have um, futures focused assets like a USO, for example, USO is a very popular uh, oil ETF. Um, UNG is another one. Uh, you, you look longer term. These things just destroy value, and the reason is because the cost to roll the options from month to month is very high, and so that's why it typically will destroy value. For example, USO was launched near the, the peak in oil prices back in 07, 08, and this peaked at a split-adjusted high of $953. Now we're at $58, and oil is probably not much more down from where uh, the price was back then. So, uh, and this has lost 95% of its value over that time period. So it just goes to show you that futures-based ETFs, those can be an issue. UNG is another example. Uh, It's high in 2008 was split adjusted $2,044. Now it's at $18. So losing 99% over that time period. So that's really the issue here is do you really want to have exposure to a fund that is using futures and having to roll those futures from month to month? And the answer historically is probably no. So make sure you understand when you're looking at these ETFs, how are they structured? Are you owning the underlying asset like a GBTC, which is owning it within a trust, the physical Bitcoin, I guess, or digital Bitcoin, however you want to describe it, uh, or is it using futures and those type of financial derivatives? Now, several other ETF providers are launching their Bitcoin futures ETFs in the next few days. ProShares, for example, uh, Invesco, VanEck, Valkyrie, and da- da- Galaxy Digital are all launching theirs here in the near f- future. So, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge fan of these futures-focused ETFs, especially for long-term buy and holds. I'd rather own the GBTC or just uh, buying Bitcoin outright. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. With all the changes we see happening, it is important to remember that during these times of market uncertainty, economic volatility, the task to building your own successful financial future must continue, and that's what we are here to help you do. 
help you build slowly day after day. And we are here to talk about whatever is on your mind. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Hey, Justin Garcia, this is Tyler from Oklahoma. Again, uh, thank you guys for all that you do. We're calling about Goldman Sachs, ticker symbol GS. I know you guys really like the uh, regional banks. Just really impressed with GS's earnings. And therefore, PE, it looked to me like around 7.5 to 8. And even historically, that seems very low. And again, their earnings were just really good. So I'm wondering if of all the big banks, they might be one that you guys might uh, have a preference to if uh, I was looking to move that to my Roth for like another 5 to 10-year play. Appreciate any advice. Thank you. All right, looking at Goldman Sachs. And if you base it on this year's expected earnings of $58.11, it does look very cheap. But next year, earnings are expected to fall 32% to $39.49. So you always want to look forward. Remember, always look, always invest uh, through the windshield, not the rearview mirror. And so you're getting a reversion to the mean here, uh, or at least the expected reversion to the mean. And if you go based on that, it's trading about 10 times earnings. Five-year P range is between 5 and 14. So 10 would be kind of in the middle. Uh, now, they make a, a money, a lot of money when capital markets are strong, equity markets, bond markets. There's a lot of issuance of debt, a lot of issuance of uh, new shares. The IPO market remains relatively robust, and they're benefiting greatly from it. So, historically, Goldman is one of the best-run investment banks out there. Uh, especially, they. they I wouldn't want to work with them as maybe a client, but um, you know they they definitely do well for their shareholders. If you look historically, the return on equity over the last decade has averaged probably low double digits, low teens, which is fine, but not amazing. Um, but I do think the the trend earnings is a bit high, a bit uh, inflated. You're going to return to the mean, uh, and that makes it kind of fairly valued in my mind. The technicals have started to lose some momentum. So that worries me a bit. And overall, just not a huge fan at these levels. Um, It's not undervalued. It's not overvalued. It's just, I think there's better opportunities out there. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Noel in Napa, looking at O-R-A-N, which is orange. Orange. Is this the telecom company? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't own it, but I was been thinking about it. You know, what I do own in that area is uh, AT and T. Uh, I've had it about three years. Uh, when I bought in, uh, my dividend was five percent. Now it's gone down quite a bit, so it's paying about eight percent. But I don't see. I, I suspect they're going to cut their dividend. That's my thinking. 
So I was thinking about bailing out of AT&T and going to ORAN, which is paying about, I guess that's kind of the, would that be kind of the AT&T of, of France? I, I suspect maybe, I don't, I'm not sure, but uh, they pay a 7.5% dividend. Uh, so what do you think of that uh, thought? Yeah, well, AT&T, they are going to cut their dividend. They've already announced that. It's part of the spinoff of Time Warner, which is going to merge with Discovery. Uh, and, and you have to understand that if you own AT&T, you're eventually going to get uh, shares in both companies. Both are going to pay a dividend, but uh, standalone, they're going to have lower dividends uh, as a percentage. So you're definitely going to get your dividend uh, yield cut there, but your your total dividend yield is probably not going to change uh, that much. But if you're looking at Orange, which is, yes, kind of the AT&T after the spinoff, it's kind of the AT&T of France. You're right, because they have fixed and a wireless business in France. And they have steady, strong, robust earnings. Um, their return on equity is not that great, high single digits over the last decade or so, which is okay, but not uh, fantastic. Looks like they're buying back some shares, which I think is good, and have strong, steady, robust cash flows, trailing 12-month, about 4.5 billion euros. That's about a uh, dollar per share in free cash flow, a little over that, and it's trading at $11. So the free cash flow yield is very strong. Um, I like this idea. I like the idea of switching out into uh, a foreign uh, company that – has potentially better growth prospects, uh, better balance sheet than AT&T. So if you're looking to make that shift and you don't have to deal with the spinoff and all that, uh, then this is, uh, I think, a good alternative, especially if you're low in foreign exposure. Uh, This would be a great uh, way to get exposure to uh, the European market. So I'm going to give this idea a thumbs up, Noel. Now the next and best talk, the story behind this headline. Economists are concerned about the U.S. worker shortage. There are more than 10 million jobs vacant, uh, vacancies spread across all sectors, and the worker supply problem is holding back output and increasing inflation pressures across the economy. I'll walk through the twists and turns of that story tomorrow. But for now, we're taking your calls live. I'm Justin Klein. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Got a question for Steve or Justin? I'm calling to ask you an opinion on an ETF called XLI. And the question is, during the market downturn, do dividends stay fairly steady? And I've got a question about warrant shares. I think that's the right term. A warrant is a right to buy shares of stocks at a certain price. What's your question? Now is a good time to call Talk 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing 
by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com, HackerOne.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Tether the largest stable coin issuer out there and it recently agreed to pay federal regulators a 41 million dollar penalty this was on friday of last week and this is a a fine that was levied by the commodity futures trading commission and they accused tether of falsely claiming that it had backed each of its crypto tokens with an equivalent amount of u.s dollars and this is the first time that the CFTC has applied their definition of a commodity to stable coins, which gave them kind of the authority to police fraud and manipulation within the space. Now, what they looked at was from at least mid-2016 to February of 2019, Tether had misrepresented to its customers and the market as a whole that it held an equal amount of U.S. dollar reserves for each of its stable coins called USDT. Now, in reality, they only had about 27.6% of the dollars on hand in relation to the, the number of stable coins that are out there. And they looked about over a 26-day sample size. Now, typically, stable coins are, a pro- are promised that investors to have, uh, promise investors to have a one-to-one convertibility to the actual currency. So dollars, euros, whatever that is. And there's about 68.6 billion stable coins in circulation, tether stable coins in circulation. So the idea is that for every stable coin out there, there's going to be that equivalent amount of dollars backing it. That that uh, these stable coins are simply just a conduit, a, a mechanism to transact in the crypto space without having to always convert it back and forth between dollars. And U.S. regulators are now ramping up the scrutiny within the space, and they're worried that this could threaten financial stability. They look at it similar to what happened in the money market uh, arena back in 08, where it almost broke the buck. And they were doing very similar things to the money market arena back then, like investing in uh, short-term government paper or uh, corporate paper to earn better yields. Uh, uh, repo agreements, uh, unsecured receivables, 
Uh, they were counting expected wire transfers when calculating those reserves. So they didn't actually have the, the dollars in, in hand to back the stable coins. Now, Bitfinex was also uh, uh, fined $1.5 million for being part of kind of these illegal transactions and operating as a futures exchange without registering with the agency. So you can see that they're really tightening the screws across the board here. And now Tether says they've fixed all the issues and all that, but it just shows you that just because they say one thing, and this is kind of the internet in general, right? It's just because you see it on the internet, just because someone touts it as such, uh, doesn't mean that's actually true, especially when it's such a lightly regulated industry like the crypto market right now. And so it's a lesson to you all. Make sure that you don't take the, the marketing uh, as gospel. You have to make sure that the regulators are applying the right pressure uh, enough to make sure they're doing exactly what they say they're, say they're doing. Um, in the crypto space, they're still figuring it out. They're still feeling out the process, and that's going to ramp up over time. Now, let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from Washington, D.C. Steve or Justin, it's Brandon in D.C. again. Trying to play the retail and cold weather. I wanted to see what you thought of Canada Goose Holdings, ticker G-O-O-S. I'll listen on the podcast. Thank you. All right, look at Canada Goose Holdings. This is a company out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Market cap $4.4 billion, supposed to make $0.93 cents this year. That's up from $0.70 cents last year. $1.41 expected next year, which would be an all-time high. Uh, and the stock is still down about 20% from its 52-week high, and its all-time high back in 2018 of nearly $70 a share. Now we're at about $40 a share at the close today. When we look at the chart here, we are kind of hanging around the confluence of a lot of the moving averages. So you're, you're definitely more in a, a neutral chart formation, not bullish, not bearish. Uh, it is consolidating nicely from its early uh, its move early in the year. So I will say kind of longer term, it still remains relatively positive. So I, I like that. From a profitability standpoint, uh, they've been around since 2015, and the return on equity has been nice and solid ever uh, uh, since then. Pre-pandemic, it was averaging about 30 35%, which is very high. Trailing 12 months has only been about 12%, but how much of that is, has to do with the pandemic? That's a big question, big question mark. Um, let me take a look at their profit growth. They lost money last quarter, but revenues are up 116%. They could have just been like a one-off thing. So their business is definitely all over the place. They're going to repurchase about 6 million shares. That's about 6% of their of their uh, total shares outstanding. So that's good. They're plowing the cash flows back into repurchasing stock. Don't pay a dividend. Hmm. So if you based on next year's earnings, it's trading roughly – 30-something times, 32 times uh, forward earnings. It's not cheap, not expensive. You know, I, I'm kind of wishy-washy on this. It's, it's fine. I like the profitability. I worry that the recent uh, trends may continue. Uh, and the fact that they lost money last quarter worries me a bit. I'd really have to understand their uh, distribution dynamics. Are they mainly selling online? Are they mainly selling in, in, in uh, uh, stores? And what those trends look like? 
So I'd have to do a deeper dive, but I, I like the longer term profitability um, and, and the chart formation actually looks fairly solid longer term, um, but I'm not completely sold. I really have to do a deeper dive. Now let's make it two in a row. This qu- question came in earlier from Florida on 888.99 chart. Hey, Stephen, Justin, uh, Jeff here from Florida. Give me a call about Energizer. It hit a 52-week low this week, and I was wondering at these levels, what do you think about a long-term, uh, I guess, dividend play? Because they have a pretty solid dividend. Forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Thank you. All right, Energizer Holdings. This is a maker and distributor of household batteries, special lighting products. Uh, it offers lithium, alkaline, carbon. Uh, we all kind of know what they do. Uh, let's see. Are they most of its revenue generated here in the North America? Rest comes from Latin America, Europe, Middle East. So it's multinational. Two point five billion dollar market cap. So it's still relatively small. Free cash flow t- trailing twelve months is about one hundred and eleven million. Which gives it a decent free cash flow yield. Uh, longer term return equity is a bit all over the place. They have a lot of debt. That's what worries me the most here is that, yeah, they're paying out a dividend. Their current dividend yield is about 3.2%. But that dividend's now stayed flat since 2019. And it's a very high payout ratio. So. They're paying that out by taking on more and more debt. And that's really what worries me here. Uh, And the technicals are very weak. We're in a solid, consistent downtrend. And that's why I would probably pass on this. I really think it's something uh, that just is too weak technically, too weak fundamentally, has too much leverage, and definitely is not a safe dividend play. That was Energizer ENR. Now, I think it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our client-focused company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California. And that's where we operate with the same mission statement as we do on the show, which is independent thinking and shared success. We want to bring you along with our success and provide unbiased guidance both on and off air and practice parallel investing where we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings to send us a message through investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Now stay where you are. We have one more caller question up next in one minute. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to Invest Talk. So please tell your friends and family members about the free Invest Talk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888 99 chart. Hi, Stephen Justin. 
Hey guys, thanks for what you do. I have a question on a stock ticker NVDA, NVIDIA. I'm looking to buy the stock. Just looking for your insight on what would be a good entry point and what do you think the long-term potential is of the upside of the stock? Thanks a lot. All right, looking at NVIDIA, this is a very large company, $552 billion market cap, trading an enterprise value to revenues of 25 times. We know anything over 10 is high. Anything over 20 is very high. We're at 25 times. Enterprise value to EBIT of 63 times. Um, and so that's really the issue here is the multiples are just absolutely sky high. And it's going to have to grow steadily and dramatically to grow into this level of valuation. And that's the issue here is at what price will this suddenly become a, a good value? Well, it's probably going to be uh, at least half of this level. So we're at 221. Um, so around the $100 level, I think that would be somewhere where it would be interesting to me. Um, it would still be kind of on the expensive side, but uh, if it maintained its growth, then it could grow into that fairly easily. But at these levels, um, I just am not excited about it. Also, the semiconductor space is notoriously very volatile, very cyclical. And a lot of the tailwinds are of, of the last year and a half are going to slow. And so uh, I'm definitely passing on NVIDIA at these prices. Around $100 a share? Sure, but not 221 Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8899 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about 10 minutes left, so if you're going to call, you want to do it right now. Now, let's touch on the oil industry, and this is a great example. I touched on this, I believe, on Monday or maybe it was last week, that there's always cycles. Cycles of overinvestment within a particular industry, cycles of underinvestment of uh, a particular industry, and that typically ebbs and flows based on investor excitement. Investors are very excited right now about tech stocks and, and chip stocks and uh, software companies, and that brings the PE ratios very high, meaning the earnings yields very low, and so the future returns on those investments are probably going to be relatively low in aggregate. Obviously, individual companies can, can, can diverge, but in aggregate, uh, it's going to be tough. Whereas the oil space for years has been starved of new investment. Part of it had to do with low oil prices uh, that were uneconomical, companies plowing uh, any cash flows into new investment, borrowing from uh, the, the bond market into new supply, uh, and a lot of them were burned. The industry as a whole was burned, and now you have on top of it ESG, and now you're seeing prices moving higher, and it should be a great time for energy investors. The problem is, is that so many have been pressured from clients, from people on the board, activists, etc., from government to exit the oil business, and that's left fewer and fewer big players. Most of the new supply that's coming on is from the smaller players uh, that don't have the capacity really to boost production like a lot of those larger players. And you also compound that with uh, the unwillingness of banks to make loans to energy companies. So the cost of capital is now higher. And it's difficult for these small players to have significant impacts on the output 
in the industry. Investors are steering capital away from fossil fuels and towards those that rank high on, on ESG. So there's a huge retreat in available capital. And the problem is, is that fossil fuels still account for about 80% of U.S. energy consumption, even though alternative energy is growing. And the global demand is likely to climb from 100 and a climb by 2026 to 104 million barrels a day. That's up from up 4% from 2019 levels, pre-pandemic levels. So the supply is shrinking, demand continues to go up, and you are wondering why there might be an energy crisis. Well, that's why. Now, publicly held companies are under pressure. And so instead of Investing in new supply, they're just buying back shares, increasing their dividend, and really cutting their spending. And in fact, public companies are on track to spend just slightly more on pumping new oil next year compared to this year. And most aren't stepping up output at all. Now, today, 59% of the nearly 600 active U.S. oil rigs are operated by private companies. That's up from 42% back in January of 2019. And that's the issue here, is there's just not enough money flowing in. So far this year, $2 billion has been raised for energy funds, where $6 billion has been raised for renewable energy. And this isn't talking about what should or shouldn't happen. In, in, in economics, that's irrelevant. It's about what is happening, and there's a starving of investment in that space. We're going into our last break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Steve in Iowa, and a question for Justin. I'm just curious on where you're at with Bitcoin right now. Earlier in the year, you made a pretty good prediction in terms of the pullback, and now we're on a bull run, and I'm just wondering if you have any insight on where it might go from here. I'm glad I listened and invested then, and just kind of curious where I should put my money now. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, Bitcoin is notoriously very difficult to predict where, where it's going. Um, now, technically, strong. Uh, it, the fact that it's now above 65,000 or 66,000 a day, that that's bullish. Um, now does that mean you can have a near term pullback? You can't, uh, can't go sideways, consolidate here for a while. Um, no, it could, could continue that way. Um, but all I all I can say is the chart is bullish. What the fundamentals are, what it actually is worth. You know, who knows? Um, it's really all speculation. It's a speculative asset. The number one thing, the the, the the number one thing helping Bitcoin is that you can't spend it. If you could ever spend it, you know, people would start to sell. Remember, when you sell a dollar, when you go buy something, you're selling your dollar for that thing. Okay. And with Bitcoin, you can't really do that. You can't sell your Bitcoin for that good or service. So everyone just kind of holds it and it just becomes more of a speculative asset. Um, 
And so when that changes, what happens to regulation? There's so much up in the air. But all you can really go on right now is the chart, and the chart remains bullish. Now, it looks like we have time for one more caller question that came in earlier from a listener in Miami on 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin, long-time listener, first-time caller here from Miami. My question for you guys is, let's say I am bearish on stock and I sell 100 shares of that particular stock and immediately the trade starts going against me. Can I sell a put at or near the money in order to reverse that loss? Thanks. Wanted to get your opinion. Have a good one. Bye. Uh, yeah. Uh, it sounds like you're you're doing the opposite of a covered call. So a covered call, we operate a covered call strategy, our equity income plus um, strategy. It's great. And uh, the covered call strategy is a great one. Uh, so you're betting, you're long it, but you're kind of hedging yourself by uh, selling a, a call higher than where it currently is at. So if it gets called away from you, it's at a profit, you're getting a premium. So you're hedging a bit on the downside. And so what you're basically saying is let's do the opposite. I want to short a company. I, I am bearish on it. I'm going to sell a, a put, get it some premium at lower price. So if it goes down, then I still make a profit because it's gone down between my sh price I shorted it at and the price that um, I sold the put at. And you're limiting your potential upside. Well, in this case, it's downside uh, for, the, for the stock. Um, but you're hedging yourself in case the stock goes up, the value of that premium goes to zero and it's hedge yourself a bit on, on the upside. So yeah, you're, you're basically talking about the inverse of a covered call strategy. Not a bad way to go if you're trying to shorten a name, um, but I would be looking for more opportunities to do covered calls than I guess this would be a covered short put. I've never really heard of anyone doing this, but I guess it could operate that way if you if you want it to. Thanks for the call. Great question. Uh, interesting question. I always like to hear those kind of uh, out of left field ones that make you think a little bit. Well, I'm Justin Klein, and that completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Now over 35 million. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. And if you leave your question with your iTunes review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is the best talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. 
Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. They thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-7283.